Welcome to Breaking Green Ceilings, the podcast that amplifies the diverse voices of those who are committed to protecting and sustainably managing our natural environment. I'm your host, Sapna Mulki. Let's get started. I hope you really enjoyed the first part of our conversation with Keith and Shinoa Igawa. Let's get into the second part of it. But before that, I wanted to wish you all a happy new year and I'll talk to you early next year. Stay safe. There's another element of the book that I think made it more, I don't know if the word is palatable. I don't think it's palatable, but just like more exciting for me to read was the magic element of it because I love magic. I don't know why. (laughs) So tell me what was your intention of using magic in storytelling to convey your messages? Well, I think that magic is a part of life. Mm -hmm. When you look deeply at any one thing, it's all quite magical. And I think the magic is also that part of the potential that we all have that somehow gets limited through our conditioning and socialization, especially in the modern world. I think that we are so powerful that in order for us to be managed and controlled the way we often are by the people that are supposedly higher up, is really because of the fear of the power that we do hold. And that if we all stood in our power completely, there would be a lot of magic going on and there would not be the same way to control people and to control economies and to control resources, which is often what is going on. And so we have to have the magic in there because we see it in our own life. You know, it's through the dreams that we have It's through the insights that we receive. It's through incidences that we witness when we're out in nature or through the eyes of our children or through a loved one or an act of beauty that we witness in other people. There's so much magic, the growth of a plant, the growth of a tree, the growth of flower, the beauty of the way the hummingbirds come around, the butterflies, the bees, just the whole way everything is functioning in this interactive living system that is our beautiful earth and sky is magic. And so, of course, these beings are magic. We have stories about the whales and the orcas. They're our kin. This is not just some kind of idea of magic, but these are parts of our wisdom and understanding over thousands of years that if you're, you know, in our, for our Lummi people, they say, if you live a good life, you might be fortunate to come back as an orca. And so there's an understanding of the way that we have helped each other. And there's the way that we honor one another because we respect each other's lives and we respect the gifts that we help each other with. If an animal is going to feed us, you make that offering because that animal is giving knowingly to help you survive. It's not Mm -hmm. just unconscious creature. And so the magic is we're fascinated with that. I am fascinated with that too. And the older I get, the more I realize, oh, there's no limit. There's no limit to that. Keith, any thoughts on magic? That's good. Also, (laughs) I suppose on a a lesser note, also that that quality of magic is also something that's really present in children's literature going back as far as I can remember. 
even, you know, with traditional Native stories, but children's literature in general, like when you think of Grimm's fairy tales from Europe. So yeah, that was an important piece to me that was just kind of naturally there, the manifesting of the stories I read as a kid and throughout life and just that, you know, the magical quality that is in children's literature. So Yeah. And I realized that magic is such a Western concept, but in other cultures, it is just like, it's the reality. Magic is not impossible, like, or it's not as whimsical, like in other cultures, it's the truth. Does that make sense? Yes, that's true. There's a recognition of the magic that you wouldn't even call it magic, but there's awareness of the spiritual power of life and all the different forms and what they each carry and a recognition of that. And so there's the difference is it's not just I'm the human, I'm the smart one, I'm the one that does all the decision making because I can't communicate with that tree, but some people know how to communicate with that tree. And yes, the tree can communicate and yes, everything can communicate. But we are so narrow in how we communicate these days that none of our senses are working anymore. So we don't hear, we don't feel, we don't, you know, we're just right here in the brain thinking. And one thing we always say with our native teachings is it comes from the heart, not the mind. The heart is the boss and the mind is the one, it's like the servant of the heart. So what is the heart saying? And now the mind will help figure that out to carry it out. But in our world today, we often say, the mind got superimposed over the heart. And now we don't even know what the heart's saying anymore. It's mm-hmm. just the mind is thinks that it really knows all the answers. But the danger with that is that once you think you know everything, then there's no possibility aside from what's actually possible. You've kind of enclosed your world and now only what you know is the right way. And you've just eliminated the massive expanse of possibilities that are actually there. So yeah, I think it's a cultural thing that magic, so-called magic, is just part of life. It's where we recognize it. It's there. It's real. Yeah. We need to find another word for it. And that's not magic. I don't know what the word would be. Maybe create not magic. That's a a good point. (laughs) That's your challenge. Yeah. But... There's a part in the book, again, where you talk about how the power, for the sake of this conversation, we'll just call it magic, the power of magic in us connecting with the world better. And like Shinola, like you were saying, a tree growing is magic. The water cycle is magic to me. That's really amazing. Just everything that nature is able to do is magic to me, at least. But there's a part in the book where you talk about how we're able to connect to that magic if we wish to, and that is through our dreams. And you connected back to how when we are awake, we're just like so connected to the material and the tangible of what we see around us. But when we're asleep, it's like, oh, there are no boundaries in your dreams, right? You could be doing and seeing all kinds of things. And there's a quote here from Alex, where he's explaining to to Shiny the value of sleep. And he says, we lose all truths while we're awake, but a little sleep is all it takes. Your thoughts and dreams bring memory back and find new truths just down the path. And I'm a very vivid dreamer. So that's why this resonated with me. 
And sometimes I like going into my dreams because they're really whimsical. (laughs) But they also, I have a lot of deja vu moments in my life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I saw this happening. It was in a dream. But they're also ways that I feel the universe tries to communicate with me through those dreams and the whimsiness of it in a sense, right? And I think that probably just also adds to my personality of that there's so much more beyond me, I feel, and that creativity, because I'm able to see it in my dreams. But I'm curious to know what you all's thoughts were when you were making that connection between dream and magic and connecting to one's true self. I think the going into those places in the dream where you actually are shown different things or you're capable of doing things is it's your subconscious that's showing you yes this is in you and it's really here right. it's that part of your intuition your inner knowing and i think that that's that part where you know we say if you want to connect with the magic you have to open something in yourself to remember what is already in you because if you're made of this earth and you're made of all the elements and you're made of the sky then you must carry this wisdom inside of you and your spirit. And so I think you can also do it when you're awake. And that's, I think, one of the main qualities of an attitude that opens that is gratitude, like Mm -hmm. being thankful, approaching something and being thankful for it, whether it's the water or the river or the stream or the ocean, and giving that recognition. And it opens in you the ability to realize that you're not separate from that ocean, like you were saying, you're a part of it. And when you can approach the ocean with that gratitude and with that recognition, then that magic that you might feel in your dream, you can feel it in the daytime too, because it becomes the amazement of, wow, this life is really, it's really something. And when you can get outside of the internal problems that we might face on a daily basis, and you can look at the bigger picture. I've had three people in my life tell me, don't get too small into your own problem. When you get into your own problem, get the big picture. You got to step outside of yourself. And it was said to me in three different ways. And like you, what you're saying, Sapna, when you see it in your dream or when you're told by somebody, it's like a message is coming to you. And there's something in you that recognizes the message, like, pay attention to this one. This person just shared something, pay attention, this is important. And so it helps me to see that when you want to get outside of that small problem inside, you got to step out and see the big picture. And that's connecting to the bigger world around you. And so I think with the dream, that happens a lot in our dream time because of the subconscious and because of the intuition but you can train that part of yourself to be awake with you in the daytime. And that becomes a natural response, but we're not taught that way. But we are through some parts of our aspects of our culture, that was the way, that is the way. And so that's why I think a lot of people still have that ability really strongly just as a part of their cultural inheritance because the way of life has not been changed for that long. And it's just a distance that we get from it. But like you said, everybody has the ability, but it's how far away are you from it and how do you re-approach it and bring it back into the present. And I don't know if this is okay time-wise, but 
I think Sapna would really like to hear about that piece of inspiration. You know, when we first started figuring out the story about Tawny, our sister, and her dream about the birth of our nephew. In addition to that, big part of the inspiration was the teaching tool for kids to help them learn about this stuff and introduce them to it. But, you know, I don't, if it's okay, maybe yes, a, yes. a quick version of that piece of the inspiration. So we were inspired to write the story because we saw the power of the birth of our nephew and what had happened during that time. And my sister had gone through a very intense labor, long, like 46-hour labor. Mm-hmm. And all the family was at the hospital with her. And But the night before she went to the hospital, she was asleep and she had a dream and she was swimming in the ocean. And she said it was really colorful, tropical water and kind of shallow. And she came up upon this huge whale and she swam up to the whale and she looked into the whale's eye and the whale was looking back at her. And she said, as they were looking at each other, the eye of the whale turned completely black. And then inside that blackness, a baby's eye appeared and the baby was looking at her. And when the baby would blink, the eye would kind of stick together, the eyelid would stick together and then it would pop open. And she just noted that oh, that's just a really curious blink that eye has, that little baby eye. And then she woke up and she, yeah, it was like a puppet's eye, like a little wooden puppet that the eye would just stick and then it would pop back open. And so she woke up and she forgot the dream, but she told her husband, the baby's coming, it's time to go to the hospital. So then we went to the hospital and I was getting very stressed out because she was just struggling so much. And so some kind of survival instinct kicked into me. And my family said, you know, you need to get out of here, (laughs) you know, get away, go outside. (laughs) And so I went outside and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a prayer. And instead of praying, I just started yelling at all our ancestors. And I was like, what are you doing? Where are you at? Look at her, you know, but she's just struggling, you know, I was so mad. And so I finished that. And then I went into the room and my dad was sitting on the side of the bed and he was crying and he had his eyes closed. And we said, dad, why are you crying? And he said, all your grandparents are here and they have somebody with them. And then the baby was born. And so it was as if our nephew was ushered in by all of our ancestors, all of our grandparents. He was with them in the spirit world and they brought him to the moment to be born. And then when the baby was born, my sister held the baby. And the first time he looked at her, he looked up and he had that same blink from the dream. And he was like, remembering the dream in that moment and saying, oh my gosh, this is the whale, the whale baby. Yeah. And so we always called him our whale child, you know, the yeah. whale child. And and we wanted him to remember, you yeah. know, this is the sacredness from which you came, the way that you were born. And we know that you're going to go through times of forgetting as you go through this life, because that's part of our human existence. But we want you to remember, and we want all children to remember that they are this precious and this sacred And this is how you came into this world in a very sacred way. And we want you to remember you're important. This is who you really are. And then the environmental message came too because of where we're at now. And we thought of all of our children and our nieces and our nephew and just thinking about all of them and wanting to have that hope for them. And so that's kind of how the story came about. But it came from a dream that my sister had. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. It's amazing. (laughs) I have no words. (laughs) But I'm glad that 
you remember to share that story because that's hadn't that happened, we wouldn't have this book in front of us and all of its great messages. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you so much. So I think it's time for us to move into our lightning round, which starts the process of us kind of winding down this conversation for now. We can definitely revisit in another episode, of course, maybe your next book. (laughs) And so we have a series of four questions here and you would just answer the first thing that comes to your mind. So with that, Keith, I was wondering if we can start off with you, if that's okay. Sure. All right. Great. So the first question here is, what have you read, heard, or watched that has influenced you the most? I have to go back to pretty early childhood to think of something real significant. I would say The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings that I read, which I read in grade school. That's not connected to you know the topic of the whale child. But I think that's what started me on the path to storytelling because I was so affected by that. I love Lord of the Rings. I will watch it many times, <laughs> but I haven't read the book. So people might judge me for that. <laughs> <laughs> no. What's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your work? So in terms of writing and storytelling, yeah. I guess like the strength of observation of um, paying close attention to things, noticing things, noticing detail, you know, and then not just observation of like, you know, injustices and concerning things, but humorous things, funny things, just the ability, I guess, to really see life and people and process those observations into storytelling. Yeah. Storytelling is such a powerful skill and tool, and it's something that I've been wanting to hone in on or just develop more. So that's a good one. What's the best piece of advice you've received or one of the best pieces of advice? Oh boy, I'm dropping the ball on this one. (laughs) I guess it would be from the movie Raising Arizona when the main character was talking to two convicts who had just escaped from prison. And one of them said, you're young, you've got your health. What do you want with a job? I actually did take that advice to heart as a younger person from time to time. But, <laughs> and I'm sorry, I just threw that out there because I can't think of some power. No, it gives perspective, especially for a warrior like me. I worry about a lot of things. And that kind of message always helps center me where I'm like, all right, you've got your health. You've got your family. Don't dwell so much on on this negative part, right? But try and problem solved through it. So that's a good quote. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Pretty good. <laughs> and finally, what is your superpower? I know that one's kind of tongue-in-cheek, figurative, metaphoric maybe, but I'm sorry, I truly can't think of anything about myself that I would put on that highest scale. So maybe that's a telling answer in and of itself, <laughs> but I'd be lying if I named a superpower. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think your superpower is writing and telling stories that resonate with people and move them. Let's go with that. Yes. (laughs) Sounds good. All right, Shanoa, your turn. What have you read, heard, or watched that has influenced you the most? I think growing up, it's times with the family and Mm -hmm. 
hearing the stories and connecting to through our ceremonies, through the prayers of elders who have shared my connection, our connection to something deeper, sitting around our fire and sitting with our medicine and praying to the water and it's coming home. It's like always coming home. And when you go back out in the world and you try to bring that home around you and see where it is, but when you need to get renourished and rejuvenated, you go back in and you sit down and you feel the earth saying, hey, I'm here. You feel all the the love and the care that our ancestors put so that we could be here. We always say we're here because of them, because mm-hmm. they lived their lives and they had hope for us. And here we are. They prayed for us to be here. And now it's our responsibility to pick it up and to do our very best. And so I think that that is one of the main things in singing, learning how to sing, mm-hmm. being a shy, shy, shy child who could not speak in front of anyone. And finding that there was a singer in me through the ceremonies and realizing that nervousness that would come was the spirit wanting to say something. So Mm -hmm. when you get that nervous anxiety and you get tongue tied and your throat shakes and you can't, it's like, it showed me that's your spirit. You have something to say. Here's your voice, use it. You know, here's your song, sing it. And so I think those are some of the, the most powerful things, just coming back to who I am as in my indigenous roots and not even from my own tribe, but seeing the commonality of all of our indigenous peoples, because having worked with many indigenous peoples, I see that everyone has their own way of interpreting that interconnection and that interrelatedness and respect, but there's a common truth and a common core to it that I can relate to from on all sides and I can see it and feel it. So I think that that's all my experiences that way have been what has anchored me in this life and given me the ability to keep going with hope and strength. Yeah. I used to be really afraid of, I still am to a certain extent of speaking my mind or just sharing my thoughts, whether it's in a small group or maybe it's one-on-one. And I do feel like that gut-wrenching feeling and I never thought of it as spirit except for anxiety. (laughs) Yes. And like not feeling sure of myself, but this is, you're just reclaiming that and you're like, this is the spirit that's telling me I have something to say and I must say it. It's a good one. (laughs) What's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your work or let's just say even life? I should change that question. (laughs) I think it's discipline and self-motivated. And that's a good thing because like you said, you're young, you got your health. What do you want with a job? (laughs) I just remember when I was young and I went to my first office job and I sat in the office with all these people sitting at their desks. And I was like, I will not be able to do this. I will not be able to go this path because this looks so depressing to me. And so I knew that I had to, blow out of that whole picture and create my own path and have have my own business and do my own heart's work. And so I did that. You know, the education helped, but the discipline and the belief, maybe the belief, which you don't always have at all points in time. It's something you have to keep honing, but the discipline to keep honing something that was leading me more to what is true for me and 
not just following along with a society that I don't see has a lot of the answers yeah. right now. Yeah, it's definitely something to know when something's not for you, because I think we force ourselves to do a lot of things just because we want to root ourselves in reality, whatever the hell reality is, right? And then just finally accepting it and then taking that action to kind of renounce yourself of these things that hold you down in a sense. And so I felt that like when I went solo is I had to really accept that a corporate life wasn't for me. That was really hard for me to accept because I felt like I was accepting failure to a certain extent that I just couldn't like navigate that type of culture or world. But at the same time, accepting it was a relief to me where I just kind of released myself from that kind of judgment of it's okay. It's not for you and find something that is, but you can't be good at everything, which I feel like society tries to make us think that if we really put our minds to it, we can really do it, but, or just force yourself to do it because you have to get your head out of the clouds or stop dreaming, right? Yeah, I think that's so true. As you were saying that, it reminded me that in a more traditional way, the elders would recognize your gift as a child and then they would help foster and bring out that gift. Mm -hmm. So as my brother, he's a born writer. He was born to express through words and not just express the words, but the feeling and the imagery and the senses of the feeling of a story. And he's meant to do that. And we each have something that's like that. It hurts your heart when you don't go toward that. There's a certain amount of suffering that it brings because your spirit wants you to be true to who you are. And then that's always tell kids, follow what makes you happy because that's your spirit telling you, this is where you should go because it's going to make you happy because you're doing what you love and you can make it doing what you love. And I think that's what you're saying. It's like, they tell you, get your head out of the clouds. You can't do that. But the elders would recognize, they would say, not everyone can be a medicine person. There's certain people who have that ability. And those are the ones that will do that. But I remember being with the Mayan people in Guatemala and they said, it used to be that the midwives were selected from a young age because the elders could see that they had the gift to be midwives, which was much more of a spiritual, there was so much spiritual guidance that came through that. Mm -hmm. And not everyone can just go to school and be a really powerful midwife. You can go and you can study in the brain, but your spirit and your heart has to know something about that too. It's not just that you learn from a book and then you apply it. Yeah, maybe. And I think we have like a lot of doctors out there now, or a lot of people in all different professions that just studied their way into it, but their heart's not really in it. And I'm not picking on doctors. I mean, I think it's just like you said, it's like how we go by what the system tells us. Oh, you'll never make money as an artist. Don't do that. I went into international business because I like international, not so much business, but I like people and cultures and languages and ways of life. And so I was like, I like international. <laughs> so international business, okay, we'll try business, yeah. but... 
I could have made it as an artist too, but I can come back around now and everything I learned helped me in some fashion. But if I was to follow myself truly, it would have just been go with the art all the way and go with the singing all the way. But it's happening now. So it's an evolution, right? Like sometimes you have to go through these processes of experiences. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) What's the best piece of advice you've received? I think I was just telling my mom the other day that when we were little, both of our parents always told us, you can be whatever you want to be. Don't be what we want you to be, even though we still felt the pressure, (laughs) I think. But they always told us, you can be whatever you want to be. And it's so true. And I was just telling my mom the other day, thanks for saying that. You know, I was just remembering you guys always said that to us. You never pigeonholed us into any one thing. He always said, follow it. What do you want? And I think my dad had concerns about whether we were going to be able to make a living or have retirement to do all these things. Right, right. But ultimately, the parents really helped us to to be well-educated and to have life experiences living in other lands and with other people and cultures and ways of life and keeping our connection with our extended family and opening the world for us as much as they could to their capacity was something that gave us a bigger picture of the world. And even growing up in Germany and being around all the different languages and cultures and traveling, and we were really influenced in a good way over there. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking in terms of like, you follow like who you want to be, but I don't want to be a downer because it like reminds me of like what my dad would say. He would be like, how are you going to feed yourself and your family? So I think like you can, (laughs) I'm saying there are creative ways that we can find to still feed our families and still follow our passions. And if it means that we need to put a pause on, you know, following that dream just for a bit, like you did, you know, with international business and then finding yourself back to, or just staying focused on where you want to end up eventually. Because yeah, you have to like you do need to be like financially stable because that is also what will help you achieve like the dreams that you've set up for yourself. Right. Right. It's a balance. Yeah. yeah our dad was an artist and he really did yeah. have yeah. fear about what choice we made in terms of financial survival. It, it really worried him. And he himself yeah. was a dedicated artist for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know my dad was coming from a place of like, I didn't get out of the village so that like you couldn't survive or like we have to like with each generation, we have to evolve. Right. And we have to improve. And so I think he was also coming from like the immigrant experience of like, we need to also survive. So. And maybe feeling the discrimination of what that meant on a bigger picture, but not understanding all the beauty and benefits of what it is to be in a village and to grow and the teachings and the way of life that's there. Yeah. And so like coming back to who we each are in the beauty of our ancestors and bringing those pieces into our life, because in the immigrant way of seeing, which is what our grandpa from Hawaii, he was Japanese and Hawaiian. And I think all the grandparents at that stage were in some moving, they were all moving around the globe in really interesting ways and all trying to go for that dream. But that dream led to individual individual lives and individual nuclear families and disconnected us from our interconnectedness 
And so what is the goal of this evolution? Is it to make money? And is it to make money at the cost of life? Because it is at the cost of life now. And so what I keep seeing is there's a change in jobs that needs to happen. There's a change in our consciousness that needs to happen. And if you're doing a job, it needs to have some aspect of caring about the earth, caring about life and healing. It has to have one of those aspects. Is it destructive? One of the teachers I have says, okay, it's nice to go and get an engineering degree, but if your degree in engineering is to do mining projects, then that's destructive. It doesn't matter if you're a good engineer, it's destroying the earth. So where is the intention of the job that you're doing? What is your goal? And I think that's where we bring back, oh, what, you know, we may be in the village that your dad and your grandparents came from. There was the growing of the food and what that meant on a communal level to eat together, to harvest together, to plant together, to work the land together. And the feeling of what it feels like to just be in a state of peace in your mind where you're in harmony working with something. And yeah, it's not that life was always easy, but I think that in some of the less, what would you say, technologically infiltrated places in the world, you see people are capable of happiness more in some ways, in some places, not everywhere, but there's a different feeling. I mean, I don't say that just because we're so advanced here in this country that we've discovered how to be happy and healthy. I think we're one of the countries that are struggling a lot with that. And so Thinking about that. Yeah. And the final question here is what is your superpower? Superpower, superpower. Let's see. Maybe it's joy or happiness. And it doesn't mean that I'm always joyful or happy, but when I am, I think I can move a lot. I think it's also recognizing other people and bringing out that happiness in them, like appreciating people. Like I like to share when I go to the store or something. I'll communicate with the person who's checking out my groceries and just ask them how they're doing and connect with them and acknowledge them as important people that they are with a life, with a family, with their own set of worries and (laughs) dreams and hopes. And so I think it's like recognizing that common humanity and trying to be a kind, loving person and a hopeful, happy person and working on that in myself so that I'm not just thrashing about and adding to the problems, (laughs) which I've had my fair share of thrashing about too. (laughs) But seeing that I'm becoming more responsible for my actions and my feelings and how they're impacting not only me, but the people around me and the world around me, that they go out. And so am I putting out a positive emanation or am I adding to the problem? I don't know if it's my superpower, but it's definitely something that I'm working on. And that's really important to me as I become more aware. Yeah, connecting to your own humanity and treating others like humans. Yes, we don't do that enough, really. Well, thank you so much both for your time. I think I've overstayed, but I really appreciate the time that you've offered. And I feel like we've had such a great conversation all around. It's been really uplifting, at least for me. And I just feel more connected to my work and myself. Mm-hmm. Sense? Yeah. Yes. So, Good. Thank you so much for creating that space for this conversation and for me. So I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we put a pause on our conversation here? 
I guess just real quick, I'd say again, the topics that were, you know, the things we're talking about or the things addressed in the book are frightening and serious. And I think people can feel like they need to protect kids from that information. But again, what we're facing is real and, and we have to prepare kids for what's happening and what's going to happen if we and they are to, are to survive what's coming. It's yeah. crucial. I agree. And I think it's an opportunity for us to move away from, oh, this is scary. This is doom and gloom to, okay, this is happening. What's my role in changing that? I feel like by the time I reached halfway through the book, that was my mindset is, okay, this is a reminder of why I am here, why I am doing this work. But if I chose to just be stuck in the negativity of it, I wouldn't be having this podcast or just dedicating my life to environmental issues. So I think it's really important to bring this reality to our children now. Otherwise, we're going to like, you don't want them to one day be like, why didn't you tell me this stuff? And what did you do? And how did this come about? So we're taking responsibility, accountability as parents, as elders, as adults to the next generation. So. I think it's important that, yes, we share this from an early age. Yes. I was thinking too, just as you were saying that, it would be really cool to do a podcast with some kids and come on with the kids and have them read. Like Keith and I did one visit to a school and they were all green schools. And so the kids were learning a lot about the environment. And that was so uplifting because these kids were really learning a lot and they had really good questions and they were positive and they were smart and fun. It was really cool. So I don't know, maybe an idea for another another show would be having some kids who are involved in some environmental projects and coming back on because I always feel like there's a community that needs to grow. How do we support our kids? How do we partner with our kids, not just our own children, but the children at large (laughs) from all different places and be hopeful with and for each other and come up with solutions together and be encouraged by each other because it is uplifting. I'm uplifted speaking to you. Keith and I were talking about that. It's a pleasure talking with you and it gives you that boost that you need to go out and keep doing more. You know? I'm glad. <laughs> right, definitely. And I love the idea of having kids on the podcast telling their stories of how they're changing the world, right? Because I realized that for me, I grew up at a time when we weren't taught about environmental stuff. We would just have to get it through the news or it just came to us. And I think the generation of environmentalists that I come from, we're just more of like that doom and gloom mindset, I think, because we're like, we're probably the first generation that like realized, oh my gosh, this is happening. And then, you know, Gen Zers are like, this is ridiculous. We need to do something about it. So I realize it's also an internalized fear that I've grown up with since I've chosen to take this path. It's like, we got to do something, but... It's like a mess everywhere. (laughs) But we need to stop thinking that way because it's just not constructive. So yeah. Well, this has been great. Again, I'd love to have both of you on the podcast again and just check in with you and see how your journeys are going and hold that space again for me one day in the future. And I'd love to keep in touch. Sounds good. That'd be great. So thank you again. Wishing you the best of luck on getting the word out through this book. And I'm here to support you in any way that you need. So 
How can we follow you on your journey? So we have Instagram, The Whale Child, Mm -hmm. and also on Facebook under The Whale Child. And then also I have a website, swanclan.com, where you can purchase the book and also connect through email. And another email is just my name, shinoaigawa at hotmail.com. If there's any questions about the book, you can write to me there. And that'd be writing to me and Keith both. All right. Keith, do you want to share your own personal email or? No, I was just going to mention also maybe that the um, publisher of the book is North Atlantic Books and the distributor is Penguin Random House. You might have said that, Sean, I missed it. But no. Yeah. Yes. So we have a page on Amazon under the Whale Child and then under Penguin Random House, the Whale Child. You can yeah. find more information there too. Yeah. And I got the book from Amazon. That's another story for another time. Yes. <laughs> But I got the book and within two days. So <laughs> I'll take that. It's a good cause. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much. This has been an absolute pleasure, honor, and I feel quite humbled to share this space with you. So thank you so much. And we'll be in touch. Oh, thank you so much, Sapna. It was an honor and a pleasure for us too. Yes, really, really good talking. Really appreciate it. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Breaking Green Ceilings. If you'd like to hear more episodes with change-making environmentalists, head on over to watersavvysolutions.com backslash podcast. You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, if you love the show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like on iTunes. You can also sign up for my newsletter to find out when new episodes are available. And please do share the podcast with your family, friends, colleagues, and whoever you think will be inspired by the wisdom of our change makers. I always welcome feedback, so please do feel free to reach out to me. My contact information is also on watersavvysolutions.com. Until next time, keep breaking through those green ceilings.